You may be seated. We have so many exciting things that are coming up in the life of our church. I just wanted to make sure that I shared them with you as we just get ready to start this new series. First, I think most important, there's root beer floats after service today. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good root beer float, right? That just is nostalgia right there, just your childhood. I don't care who you are. So that is happening. And then um, we're in this series that is really going to springboard our entire church into the fall when groups launch. And this series is called The Unexamined Life. And what we're doing is we're exploring emotionally healthy spirituality. And if you've ever been a part of the discipleship process, um, then you should be excited about this series. And if you've never been a part of the discipleship process, you're gonna be excited about the discipleship process after the series, I promise you. Um, and what this series is gonna do is, we believe here at Vertical that we were created for connection. As human beings, we were created for connection. And we were created to connect with God and we were created to connect with others. Um, we can't do those two things well if we don't first learn how to connect to our own story. And that's something that has been preached here long before I got here, and that's something that I wholeheartedly believe, and I will mantle that vision until I, for the rest of my life. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna learn how to better connect with God and with others, and in week one, today, we're gonna learn how to connect better to our own story, ourself. And at the end of this series, We've set it up so there's going to be some decisions that we're going to all have to make collectively, individually, every single week. And we're going to celebrate at the end of this series with baptisms. And that's going to be happening August 6th. And so if you have never been baptized, our hope and our prayer is that throughout this series you learn a little bit more about what baptism is. And that you would ultimately make the decision to be baptized on August 6th here in church um, together as a church family. And... Um, yeah, if, some, if that's been on your heart, please be praying about that. If you want more information, there's our connection cards. You guys can write your information down on that. Make sure that you get signed up and get registered for that. And I want to jump into our series today that we're starting in this titled The Unexamined Life. There is a part of our lives and our humanity that everyone sees. And I like to think that this is the 10% of our life and our humanity. And this is kind of the roles that uh, we have as a human being. So a lot of you are known for maybe uh, your job, the role that you have at work. Maybe you're known for being a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister, whatever it is. Maybe you're known for some of the hobbies that you like, your personality traits, some of these things that make you who you are, the things that you do. And I believe this is about 10% of your life. And this 10% is the life that everyone sees. And I'm convinced that there is 90% of who we are that often goes unseen or unexamined, and that dictates how we show up in the other 10%. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about us as human beings, and it reminded me of this iceberg. When people see an iceberg, and you think about the Titanic, right? You're only confronted with what's on the surface. And that part of the iceberg is what is deemed as most dangerous to us when you're confronted with that iceberg. And if you know anything about icebergs, it's not the 10% on the surface that makes them what they are. 
90% of the iceberg's mass is underneath the surface. It often goes unseen. But that 90% is what makes it so dangerous. It's what makes it what it is. And it's the same with us and our humanity and who we are. There is about 90% of who we are in our life that often goes unseen by others and even by ourselves. And that 90% affects the 10% that everyone else sees. What makes us who we are is the 90% underneath the surface that often goes unexamined. And the unseen and the unexamined is what governs the part of our life that everyone does see. Socrates, he wrote this, he wrote, the unexamined life is not worth living. Why would he say something like that? And why do we as a church believe that? One of the main reasons we believe that here at Vertical is because we believe that you can truly never really know God if you don't first know yourself. And trust me, I know what some of you are thinking because I was tempted with this thought as I was prepping. Oh my gosh, not another self-help sermon, right? I came to church. I didn't come to a motivational talk. Amen. I did not come to preach a motivational message. I promise you, this is not a self-help sermon. This is a series on emotionally healthy spirituality, and we're going to learn how to better relate and connect to God and others, but our starting place is ourself and our own story. And God has a lot to say about ourself and our own story in his word. And our starting point, I want to kind of just level the playing field. Oftentimes, our starting point as a human being is an insecure connection. And I want to just bring up what this means. And I'm going to use an illustration. I hope this you can relate. Do you remember what it was like when you first learned how to drive? Can you remember the vehicle that you learned how to drive in? Mine was like a 92 Chevy Sub Suburban. And when I was learning how to drive, I had to push the brake three quarters of the way down before it would finally engage. Can anybody relate? <laughs> and the steering wheel, you had to turn it just, you had to put some, some strength in that, right? It was like the power steering was just broken in that thing. And so that's the vehicle that I learned how to drive in. You want to know what happened when I jumped in one of my buddy's cars? It was a little sedan. Roll up to a stop sign. You know what happened? Just instantly. He's like, dude, have you never driven a car before? I hit the brake, and it just engages right away. And I'm just jerking every stop sign. And I, I was realizing that I'm going to bring this back to our humanity. But if I learned how to drive in a faulty kind of old, broken down car, I'm gonna relate to every other vehicle that I get into based off of that first vehicle that I learned how to drive in. Does that make sense? So I'm gonna be like, all right, I've gotta pull the steering wheel extra hard here. I've gotta push the brake three quarters of the way down before it even engages. And it's the same for our relationships. If our starting point is an insecure connection depending on how you were raised, depending on if both parents were in the home, depending on if both parents were engaged in the home or if one was, or if one was quite the opposite. That is gonna dictate how we show up to every other relationship in our life. 
If our starting point is an insecure connection, we're gonna move forward and we're gonna relate to our, the other people in, in our life, to ourselves, even to God in this way. Do you see why our own story matters? If we don't know ourselves and aren't connected to ourselves, we'll never be able to truly know and connect with God and others. Augustine, in his confessions, wrote, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And he prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Mother Teresa, she wrote, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I have the humility to disagree with Mother Teresa and St. Augustine and say, eh, they're probably wrong. We need to forget about ourselves, right? We're called to love and serve others. Yes, we are, we are, we're gonna get there. But the more that I processed and looked into these statements that these legends of our Christian faith made, the more that I started to see that this shows true in my life and in the life of others. What does an insecure connection look like in your life? As we get ready to dive in, maybe you could just process this for a second. Was your starting place broken relationships in your life? Maybe you come from a broken home. And so, because that was what was modeled for you and that's what you grew up in, it just seems like naturally you just picked up that mantle and you have a hard time maintaining relationships in your life. Is it job change after job change after job change and it's not because you're a millennial and you only have a job every two years and then you switch it up and you completely change your career, right? That's not why. Is it an apathetic life? Do you feel like you're just going through the motions? Are you content just to go to work, get by, do enough to pay the bills and you're doing your job? And there's so much more underneath the surface that you're missing out on. Are you a very reactive person? Do you get triggered pretty easily? Because that's what was modeled for you in your life. Do you have this critical, bitter spirit about who you are? Because that's what you received growing up. Love and encouragement weren't the first things that maybe your parental figures reached for in your life. Maybe it was a spirit of criticism that led to condemnation, and so you've picked that up and you've mantled that. There are some things that we are clearly holding onto in our life in this moment right now that we picked up in our past, and they're no longer serving us in the present. And maybe you're at that place. Maybe you recognize and realize that. And I want to tell you, it's, it's, it's never too late to recognize this either. It's not. It's not. And I'm here to tell you that we need to learn not just to let go of these things, we need to learn to completely get rid of them. The Apostle Paul, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 25, he expresses this as putting off and putting on. I love this language. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 25, he, he states, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul uses this language of putting off and putting on. And I'm here, this is what I love. I love that the Bible is so practical, and to me it's like common sense. I don't get how people can't see this. In order to put on the new, you have to take off the old. You have to. But how can you put off the old if you can't first recognize what the old even looks like? I was even just thinking about this. Some of you have some teenagers, right? Specifically teenage boys. You can tell when it's time for them to take a shower, right? But they can't. It's a, it, that's a miracle, right? They don't know how bad they smell on their own. Can you imagine if they tried to just go throughout their day and night and not shower, and they just put on some new clothes over some grimy old ones that they'd been wearing? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But we try to do that with our Christian life. We do. In order to do this, we're going to have to examine some parts of our life that we think we've left in the past, that we've been content just to leave on, and we've just been trying to put on new. We're going to have to get underneath the surface of our lives, and we're going to have to look and see what's really going on. And we're going to be confronted with some decisions that we need to make in order to move forward in a way that brings health, in a way that brings connection in a way that brings the freedom that God wants for us in our lives. And in order to do this, in order to put off and to put on, my first point is that we're gonna have to go back in order to go forward. We're gonna have to go back in order to go forward. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are in the language of the scriptures born again. John chapter three, conversation with Nicodemus, right? We're born again. The Apostle Paul describes this as the old has gone and the new has come, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And these verses, as powerful and as meaningful as they are, often go misunderstood in our Christian life. Yes, it's true. When you come to faith in Jesus, your sins are wiped away. And we're given a new identity. We have a new future. We have a completely new life. That is a miracle. That's the gospel. We're declared righteous before God through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that to be true. We hold on to that. That is our hope. That's our salvation. The eternal holy God of the universe is no longer our judge or enemy. Remember we talked about enemies last series? He's now our father and friend. That's good news. But we need to understand as believers that this does not mean that our past won't continue to affect us in the present. Here's my main idea for this whole message. The work of, go of growing in Christ, the work of growing in Christ, otherwise known as sanctification, does not mean that we don't go back to the past as we press on ahead into our new future. It actually demands that we go back in order to go forward. 
It demands that we go back in order to go forward. It demands that we go back in order to break free from the unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving God, others, and ourselves the way that he created us and intends us to. It demands that we go back. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, it states, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs chapter 16, verse two, it says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And so as we come to faith in Jesus, and even after we've been following Jesus, even after we've made this decision, we have been walking a road. We've been living a life that has been modeled for us. We've picked up these ways of life, and we've been living and walking this path for so long. And that word repent, it does mean to make a complete 180. It does mean to make a decision for Jesus. But practically speaking, we see that our old way of life has a way of showing up in our present, especially if we don't go back in order to go forward. What way of life has been modeled for you that you've picked up from those that have gone before you? You know all learning is modeled. I've just been so fascinated watching my son just grow. And I heard another parent just talking about how his son started picking up certain words that were being spoken. And he's like, he went over to the neighbor's house and his words, he's like, that neighbor wasn't necessarily, they, wasn't, they weren't believers. My son came back cussing. He's like, look how quick they pick up. Look how quick they learn. Look how quick they pick up what's modeled for them in their life. And we're no different. We're no different. And it's the reason why Jesus says over and over and over again, follow me. Follow me. He invites us into a new way of life. He models for us a way of life that is truly abundant and full. And he says, follow me. He says, learn from me. He says, this way is easy. The burden is light. Follow me. In order to do that, we have to go back in order to go forward. We have to look at the ways that we've been walking for years, that we've been thinking this is the right way. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way that I was raised. We've gotta go back and look at this path that we've been walking so that we can chart a new course. This is why things like family of origin matter so much. Do you believe in generational sin? Nah, I don't believe in that. I don't think that's real. It's, the, it's, it's when we choose to believe things like that, we don't recognize that we're actually probably picking up the same exact patterns and living out that generational sin. It's real. And I hope that doesn't discourage you. No, I hope it does the opposite. I hope it encourages you. Because the only way to break free from even generational sin is to recognize the sin that has so easily entangled and ensnared our family for years, right? We have to go back in order to go forward. We have to go back in order to break free. What happened to you in the past matters. And I, I have this quote that I've just lived by for so many years. The past may not have been your fault, 
right? It may not have been your fault. The things that you experienced, it may not have been your fault. But the present is now your responsibility. And that's empowering. That's encouraging. And so let's get to work in the present. So as we go back in order to go forward, this leads me to my second main point. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says, The ways or the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. As human beings, we are deep and we're complex. Right? Spouses, you know. You're like, I don't know all side enough for this. It's because we're deep as human beings. We're complex. The ways of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. So it's not enough just to go back. What do we have to do when we go back? We have to have insight. That means we have to literally look inside. We have to see inside. I have to see into me. Into me see. Intimacy. Intimacy. So it's not enough just to go back in order to go forward. I have to choose intimacy. And this is weird, right? You're like, wait, I've got to get intimate with myself? What does this even mean? It means that you have to know yourself. Careful now, right? (laughs) It means that you have to know yourself. That's what it means. It's not enough just to go back. You have to do the hard work of excavating, digging deep down into the well of your soul. You have to process things that have happened to you in your life in the way that you've responded, your coping mechanisms. You have to. You have to have insight. You have to spend time with yourself. And I'll be honest, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather not. It's so much easier just to focus on someone else and how can I serve you? How can I help you? But I'm telling you, you won't be able to serve them over the long haul if you don't first get to know yourself. This isn't the cultural self-love that I'm talking about either. This is the biblical self-love. We have to look within at the ways we have been allowing ourselves to be loved. I want you to just really just focus on that. We have to look within at the ways that we've been allowing ourselves to be loved. Why? Because that determines how well we love others and connect with God and with others. I'm convinced that God spends our entire lives, literally our entire lives, getting getting us to see and experience how loved we truly are. That's God's main goal. And getting us to a place where we can receive more and more of his love. That's what he wants for us. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the Shema. This is the the one commandment to rule them all, right? This is what we're called to do as believers. And then Jesus says, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater. 
All of the law and prophets hang on this truth. But guess what? You can't love your neighbor well if you don't know how loved you are. You can't. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, in Paul talking about marriage, he says the way that you're supposed to love each other as, as husband and wife, he says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. You're called to care for yourself. And in that same way, you're called to care for others. You're called to love your neighbor as yourself. I had this picture that I feel like the Lord gave me, and it's like, as we're, as we're looking within, we need to realize that our inner life is like a garden. And the past is part of that garden. It actually impacts our garden or our spiritual life more than we think. And I had this, this principle that I was thinking about. You can't just leave weeds in the past. That'd be nice, right? We actually do. We do that. We're like, ah, that's in my past. I'm new in, I'm, I'm, I'm new in Jesus, right? The old is gone, the new has come. But hold up. There's still some weeds in your past. And what does that mean about your present? What happens when you just leave weeds in the past? They grow uncontrollably, right? And what does it do to the rest of the garden that's supposed to be beautiful? Chokes it out. Chokes it out. You can't just leave weeds in the past. You can't just pretend like weeds don't exist. Your garden will be overrun. Everything that's supposed to be beautiful will be dead because of our ignorance. We have to go back in order to go forward. We have to look within. We have to look at the old patterns and habits that have been passed on to us. We have to dig up the weeds. And it's ignorance that keeps us stuck. And even this, I was like, man, ignorance. You know what ignore, obviously, is a word that comes from that word ignorance. We think that we can ignore the things in our past and that they don't affect us in the present. But it also made me think of the word arrogance. We think we don't need to go back in the past. I'm new in Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Why are you trying to dig up my skeletons, right? And then what do we do? We get so defensive because we're actually arrogant. I don't need to go back. I don't need to talk about this. That's done. It was in the past. Really? How come it's affecting you so much in the present then? Think about it. Oh, I'm good. I healed from that. Oh, really? How come we can't talk about it right now then? Why do you shut down when the topic gets brought up? Why do you get so defensive when all I'm trying to do is have an honest, loving conversation? Why are you so angry? You know anger is a defense mechanism for fear. We choose anger because we're really afraid. I had to learn that the hard way. Trust me, just take my, take my word on that one. Why are you a master at denial and removing yourself from any responsibility that contributed to your life's current problems? We have to go back in a loving way, in a gentle way. And I'll be honest, 
for most of us, including myself, it takes people outside of me to help me go back and look within. Because I don't know that I smell, right? We'll be working out in my brother's garage, and he's like, dude, what is that? I'm like, that ain't me, bro. Chill, man. I'm like, wow, it is me. It is me. I don't think I smell on my own. I can't see the ways that I've contributed to the problems that are in front of me on my own. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step further. Yeah, well, I've got good friends, and they call me out. No, they don't. No, we're, we're so soft today. Our friends don't want to hurt our feelings, right? They don't. We, we might be at a place where we need help outside of ourselves and even our friend circle in order to navigate this, in order to go back, in order to go forward, in order to look within at the deep parts of my humanity. And then I have my third and final main point. You can't compartmentalize your spiritual life. You can't compartmentalize your spiritual life. It's not possible. We think that we can. And what makes up our spiritual life? Our emotions, our mind, our body, our soul, our thoughts. All of that makes up our spiritual life. And so you know what we do? We try desperately to compartmentalize our spiritual life. And so we might go back in intimacy. We might be digging deep. We might even have a therapist or a counselor that's helping us do these things. But we think that we can leave these these hard emotions and these tough experiences in a box. And you can't. You can't. And we do the same thing in our relationship with God. We live as if God sits in our Bible. We do. You can't just leave him in your prayer chair. Amen? No, you can't. Your devotion doesn't end the moment that you leave your house and you head out to work. No, it doesn't. You're like, check that off the list. Now I'm going to go yell at some employees. Doesn't work like that. You can't compartmentalize your spiritual life. You can't. Just did my devotion. I'm going to go tell my husband what he needs to do around the house. Can't do that. I see you ladies smiling. You're like, I've been doing that. You can't do that. I've been at, I've been at work all day, and now I'm going to go home and kick up my feet and open a cold one. Don't tell me to do anything. You can't do that. You can't. You can't compartmentalize your spiritual life. What emotional experiences have you left in the past? Never to revisit again, yet they seem to keep showing up uninvited into your present reality. What are they? This is work for you and for the Lord. And you might need to call in some big guns in order to help you with this heavy lifting. What emotions 
have you found in your past that you thought have stayed there, but really they've shown up uninvited in disguise in the present? For me, it was fear. It was fear. I, I thought I left fear in the past, but really anger was showing up in the present. Anger was showing up in the present because that's what I learned. I was afraid as a young boy. I, I was told unintentionally, you need to protect yourself and your brother, and I know you're afraid, but figure it out. And my way of figuring it out was bowing up, being tough, being strong, and anger was my defense mechanism. And so what I had to do was I had to process that anger, and I had to follow it back, and it led me to fear as I went back. And now I'm able to go forward in a way as I intimately know myself. When I get angry in the moment, it's actually because I'm afraid internally. And now I can be sensitive to that fear that I feel internally. And now I can move forward in a way where that doesn't have a grip on me anymore. I can actually put off and put on. I can put off fear and I can put on love. What emotional experience do you need to revisit? And I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I, I, I wanted to share this because it was such a powerful experience and I wanted to tell you that there's some things you can't just do on your own. I, I realized through some therapy and some counseling that I was carrying this narrative, this part of my story around that I wasn't worthy of love because of what had happened to me in my past. And part of what had, had happened to me in my past is I moved around a lot, from relative to friend to relative to friend, and I had this message that I was communicating to myself, and it was, you're not worthy of love, and this is why nobody wants to take care of you, and it's why you keep moving around from house to house to house. And I remember going into my session, my counseling session, and I was looking at these messages, and it, the third one was, I am not worthy of love. And I stopped and I couldn't read anymore. And I've shared this, I think, before, maybe my first week here. But I want to share some context behind this. And I was like, oh, shoot, I think I found the narrative that I've been carrying around. And she was like, what is it? And I shared it. And I had to do what was called EMDR. And it's a form of therapy that targets the brain. And it took me to this core memory that I had where my aunt dropped me off at my mom's house and I was about eighth grade, and my brother was on a trip, my identical twin brother was on a trip with his friends in Mexico, and so I'm by myself, and my aunt gets to the front door, and she opens the door, and my mom answers the door, and my aunt says, Debbie, which is my mom's name, she says, I can't do this, I can't raise these boys anymore, you have to take them back. And there's a lot of context here, so bear with me that I'm not gonna get into. And I remember, I was so upset because we had just started a new life with our aunt and we'd been living with her for a year and now I was like, man, I've got to start over again. And I remember I ran to the bathroom. I was 12 years old, 13 years old, and I just broke down crying. And this memory popped up in my session. Didn't know it was going to happen, right? God was working on my heart. And I did this session and that memory popped up and I started crying uncontrollably in the session. And we did some inner work we did some inner healing. I did some EMDR. If you don't know what that is, it's just a form of therapy. And I circled around and came back to this core memory in a loving way, in a gentle way. And I was able to sit and recognize that my aunt was in a position to where she just wasn't at a place to raise two twin boys. And it wasn't my fault. 
And it doesn't mean that I wasn't worthy of love and belonging because she was dropping me back off to live with my mom. And I was able to heal from that experience because of the work that I did with a professional. And so I shared that story with you because I wanted to tell you, there are on-ramps and there are avenues that you can walk in order to do this. We have groups that are launching in the fall. You need a community that you're connected with. We have the hangar ministry. We have the table. We've got all these things. But counseling is good. Therapy is good. And God uses that. And so I want you, as we close in our time together, I want you to pray about what decision it is that you need to make. It might be something as simple as you just opening up with your spouse about something that you've never opened up with them about. It might be you being honest about your fears or some pain points, some, some soft spots on your heart that you've been trying to hide. The unexamined life is not worth living. It's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature at the same time. It's impossible to be spiritually healthy and emotionally unhealthy at the same time. And we here at Vertical are committed to being an emotionally healthy church. Because we know in order to connect with God and connect with others, we have to connect with our own story as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now with your spirit that resides in us, your presence that is with us. And we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for your word that guides us and leads us, and we thank you for your spirit that convicts us. And so if that's what you're doing to our hearts right now, Lord, I pray that you would take us back. Take us back to the ways that have been modeled for us, ways of life that we've been living, roads that we've been walking that are no longer serving us. Show us how the past is affecting our present, Lord, and give us the awareness and the revelation to make decisions to literally cut away the past. But in order to do that, we have to go back. We have to go back. And I pray that you would help us do that so that we can go forward in a way that brings health, unity, connection, and life to ourself and to our future generations, God. Do that in a way that is loving and gentle and kind, but that is convicting and honest and real. I pray that you would bring the right community around us, God, whether that is a community group that's launching in the fall, whether that is a spouse, whether that is a friend, whether that is a therapist or a counselor. You show us, Lord, what we need because we don't know what we need on our own. And as we jump into this new series, God, I pray that you would just give us an excitement about what you're doing in our hearts and in our life and in the life of our church, God. And I pray that you would be with us. Help us to learn how to connect to our own story as we connect to you, Lord, and to others around us because that's what we are created for. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.